1: 971 FM Talk Podcast.
2: Well, she's back this afternoon. Fred doesn't have to do Fred's news. Sue is going to do Sue's news here in just a couple of minutes. We welcome her back from a trip to see her brother, Jeff, in Houston. Welcome back, Sue. Thank you. And you went to a restaurant on Saturday that has a bit of a connection to me, doesn't it? In a yeah. roundabout way, in a familiar way.
3: It, it, yes. In fact, uh, you're, one of your sons works there. And. Um, We've talked about this before because he will come up from Houston. Number one son will come up from right. Houston, and I say, "Where does he work?" And you say, "A restaurant." And I said, "We'll, we'll find out because we'll go eat there." And it turns out, it turns out that the chef of the place—by the way, the name of the place is Squabble. S Q U A B, no tube, no two Bs, right? right just right. one, because they're hip. You understand that, Fred? <laughs> yeah. That's how it is uh, when you're hip—you okay. don't spell properly. But this place was great. But before we went there, just what? Was it the day before? Just three days before. Three days before, the chef there gets nominated for a James Beard Award.
2: Mark Clayton wow. is his name. Yeah, that's my son's boss. So my, my son is, is a great. cook who is learning. This is, you know, it's interesting, Fred. Remember uh, Rick Lewis, who- um, yeah is he's got a great story here in St. Louis with his restaurants. He used to be at Quincy Street, which I don't even oh. think is open anymore, right? Oh, no, it isn't. And that place was great. But he left that and he did the—what uh, was the chicken place that he did? Uh, the fried chicken place. Damn it, I'm forgetting. I don't know. But it's, or, here's, no. here's why this is or relevant. Because, yeah, Southern. Southern. Right. So Rick's in the studio one time, and, and this is six years ago. He was in the Camway studio. I'm lamenting the fact that my kids have no, and what are they going to do? They don't have any passions. And Rick Lewis very casually said, eh. I don't even know if I was really having a discussion directly with him. It was like we were just kind of chatting in the studio. He's like, "Yeah, I didn't really figure it out until I was 28 years old. And here's my son who's about to turn 27. He really hasn't figured it out. He's got a communications degree from Mizzou. I think the pandemic hit some of these kids hard. But he's got this passion For food and for cooking food now. That's exciting. And we talked to him.
3: uh, Here's the best part. I say to the waiter, uh, Will you bring, you know, Mr. Reardon out from, I know he's cooking tonight. And he's like, Well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Out comes uh, uh, Minnie Reardon, Evan, and he comes out. And Jeff, my brother, and I are there with my sister in law, Dolly. And he comes out. Now, he says now he knows that I'm a friend of Mark's because you have told him to watch out because we were I had to get a reservation at four forty five because this place is good. Yeah I and thought the guy had been put up for a James Beard Award. I thought right? my
2: son would have a little pull to get you a better reservation. He said he wasn't quite in that position. <laughs> no, yet. But,
3: but Fred, this kid had no idea who I was. He's like, How do you know my dad? I'm like, this is hilarious. <laughs> Jeff is like, ah, this is great. And By it, the way, do you think I didn't tell them how uh, we no, knew each of other? Of course not. Of That's course why I it was told so him. funny. Right. He no. No, he, he, he paid no attention. It was so funny, but he had to get permission to come out. Oh, I believe that. Yeah, yeah. And he was in his, uh, you know, his cooking outfit. And I said, "Listen, this place is great. Are you, are you liking it? And uh, how long have you been here?" And he said, "He told me the whole thing. His girlfriend started working there, and they kind of brought him on for a couple months. And they've changed stations, and you know, he's yeah. working at a different part. It was great, and it was great to see him, and it was just really exciting." Yeah, what well, kind you know, of food? Oh uh, Yeah, you, you okay. compared it
2: to a chero, didn't I you? I did.
3: Now, a chero makes their own pasta. This is a chero in Maplewood, and it's one of the best restaurants in this city. Yes, it is. I mean, they're hands Jimmy down. Jimmy Fiala, Parkway West, Class 83 Except, with me. Um, shout out. Now, but it, this is the same idea. It's really good food, but it's in small plates. In other words, you order some from the small cold plates, some from the small warm plates, and some from the main, and you share. So really, really good food. The broccoli was outstanding. They did a roasted leek, but I love that sort of stuff. It, it was a really good place to well, eat. Well, thank so, you, thank yeah. you for
2: going there. And I, <laughs> he hasn't communicated with me since. Of I did send, I sent not. him, I sent him a text. Hey, I heard something. nothing. I got nothing for a few days, so I He's have no idea to figure out who I What's am. going on? Yeah. But thank you for going down there. It was and-
3: great. We had a great meal. We all really liked it. I gave him a good review on on nice um, it Resi, I guess, you know, when you make the reservations, they all have different apps for it. And they asked me about it. And I said, oh, it was great. So hopefully I, he really kind of seemed like he was liking it, Mark. So no, that was he, good. he
2: does. And he's working all the time. Hey, I have a favor since we spent a little time on that. I have something to insert in Sue's News, if you would allow oh, yes. me to do that. It's kind of a fun story. So just give me a window for that. and We'll do this here. These allegations are deeply concerning. Does the president
1: have any comment? We're not going to comment. It's not clear messaging. No, 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 no. And now, Sue's news, sponsored by Mr. Appliance, Speedy Expert Service, mr-appliance.com.
3: Uh, oh, I thought you were going to do yeah. something. <laughs> it seems like you no, needed you tell a reservation.
2: Me, I, yeah, I didn't know if you wanted <laughs> me to do it here, but l- I'll just kind of get it going here. And I was going to hand this to you earlier, Sue, but I didn't want to overwhelm you because I knew it was your first day back. So I don't I don't watch this show, mainly because I, I think I was vaccinated. I can't watch shows on PBS or listen to NPR, but there's a show that's on PBS that's very popular called Finding Your Roots with Henry Louis Gates Jr. Do you mm-hmm. know about this show? I do. I've seen it. Yeah, and I've we've talked about it a little bit. Fred, are you familiar? Yeah, I've yeah, seen so it. So this is where you have genealogy, who trace celebrities' histories. And I guess, and I think I remember this a little bit, they've learned that Bernie Sanders is related to Larry David, who's essentially his SNL doppelganger. That
3: is hilarious. Isn't that weird? I I did not know that. Joe
2: Mangiello is part black and descended from slaves, and LeVar Burton, meantime, is part white. And the Roots star said no when he found that out. So Bob Odenkirk, I love Bob Odenkirk. He is so fantastic, of course. I go back to Mr. Show with Bob Odenkirk. And then he did all that stuff with Conan. And, of course, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. And Bob is an SIU Carbondale guy. He's very fond of St. Louis. I've discussed St. Louis with him. And he's one of the nicest guys that you would ever meet. He's really a great guy. So he's on Finding Roots tonight. Now listen to this. I understand why society built itself around
1: Monarchs and leaders, and they pass them down through generation. I understand that goes through every society, every civilization, but um, I think that we've gone to a better place with democracy, and uh, we should keep going down that
3: road. Really? I do. Well, guess what? Uh oh, what's wrong?
2: You what and happened? you and King Charles III are eleventh cousins. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe I'll oh my change God. my mind on that. <laughs> Through the Duke, you and King Charles III are 11th cousins. Now, there you'd be trashing your family.
0: He's speechless, isn't <laughs> How he? How they make
2: a living. You
3: ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ain't been royal more than five minutes. So you <laughs> I just love
0: that. <laughs> it's so funny, man.
3: Oh, that is Crazy. I never even thought about that. Of course <laughs> that's true, right? Yeah, because all, Cause they all these was, families all they, are was, related. all they did
2: was marry each other. <laughs> <laughs> Eleventh cousins. Eleventh cousins. So he's related to King Charles.
1: Oh, you English are so superior.
2: Okay. I may have to check that out. I've never watched the show, but now they've got me kind of interested here. That's hilarious. And it's that, that episode is on tonight, if I didn't mention that. It's on tonight.
3: Oh, okay. I had to look up what 11th cousins means. Because <laughs> what in the heck does that mean? And here's what the internet, which never lies, says. <laughs> it means that one of the people and the parent of the other have common great 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 grandparents That's 10 greats or 12 generations back. That makes them 11th cousins. So that one of the people and the parent of the other have common great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. Some of the stuff is just crazy
2: when you can think about how far back they can go.
1: My family followed its family tree, and they traced the roots. And they got back to someone in England, like centuries ago, that was thrown into prison, into debtor's prison, and then what? they just stopped. They just stopped watching or trying to find out. <laughs> I didn't want to know I any know more information. Right. Exactly. As just soon, as, soon as
3: they were in debtor's prison, you were done. Yeah. that is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I like that one, Fred. All right, hang on. I think I've closed Sue's news, and since our printer is broken, I'm no longer allowed to print it out, or I can't for a while. So I now have to bring it up. Okay. Today is National Croissant Day. Mm. Now, that is nice. I would like to say that after watching the Great British Bake Show for so many years, I finally tried to make my own several years ago. And it took forever. And there's laminating, and you have to roll things out and blah, blah, blah. Quick question. Yeah. What's laminating? It's putting with butter food? in the dough. So okay. You, and then you fold it over. And there's and like a plastic that, yeah. seal well, no, that goes over? No. No. <laughs> no, there's kidding. no plastic <laughs> 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 seal. That, but you keep having to do that. And boy, they didn't look very good, but man, tasty they were good? tasty. Yeah. yeah.
2: By the way, on that note, uh, Bob Ogenkirk learned that he's part French also really? with all of this. yeah.
3: Good grief. How did he know what 11th cousin was in there? Was he faking that? Because would you have known that? No, I don't think. I mean, just hearing your cousins with the king is pretty like, whoa. Yeah, but 11th sounds pretty distant, whatever that means, you know. But that's what they do. That is what they do. On this day in history, 189 years ago, this is, you know, this comes up every year and I love it, so I do it. In 1835, Andrew Jackson became the first president to survive an assassination attempt, which sounds serious. He was attacked by a guy with a pair of pistols, both misfired. But the funny part to me is he shot once, it didn't work. The 67-year-old president got out his walking stick and started beating on him. (laughs) And then he pulled out another gun and it misfired and and Jackson kept beating on him and that was it. So it was highly unsuccessful for that person. But the fact that he got so close to the president who just pulled out his walking stick and started wailing kind of makes me laugh. So that was 189 years ago today. And I didn't even know whether to bring this up, but I decided what the heck. 24 years ago today, in the year 2000, St. Louis Rams beat the Titans. I saw that today. Super Bowl 34. I was there, and uh, was Kurt, that's right, Fred. You were there. Oh, yeah. Fred, you were there. Were you covering I was in it? In
1: the back Oh no, I Whoa. won. <laughs> the station had a drawing, <gasps> and I got lucky enough to win two free tickets.
3: Tonight. Oh my wow. gosh, that's awesome!
1: So, you know, so I, we had a seat in the very back row. It was cool. It was really
3: good. But
2: you, were you working or as a fan? I can't fan. remember. No, was as a fan? No, just there as a fan. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's nice.
3: Yeah. Uh, Kurt Warner passed for a record 414 yards. He was named the MVP. 24 years ago today. I can
2: say this now that wasn't very popular back then, but I actually was living in Wisconsin at the time, and I was in Columbia, Missouri. I watched. They had a Super Bowl party for my former station, did it at the Blue Note in Columbia. And I think I was the only person there rooting for the Titans because I hated the Rams. Just hated the Rams. And I was a big Packers fan. Unfortunately, it might have even been that season I came to the Dome covering the Packers. I did my show from X, and the Packers just got their asses handed. (laughs) I just wasn't a Rams fan. I never was a Rams fan when they were in St. Louis. But... That era and those players in the Kurt Warner story, that is magical. There's no doubt about
3: that. It really is. And I love Kurt as uh, an announcer doing these games. I I do, too. I like him quite a bit. Uh, It's kind of nice to listen to. Uh, The USA Network Series Suits was the most streamed over the last year. This was weird. In Houston, my niece, Allie, who's probably, you know, lower part of 30s, Said to me, hey, did you, do you ever watch Suits? I'm like, what? What year is it? And she said, nope, it's now, a, it's a library series. That was, that's what they call the ones that have already run on oh, TV. Oh, I didn't know that. They put hmm. it in the library. Oh. But it's that's a, the Meghan Markle one, yes, right? Yes, and right. I said, how much of that do you think is a Meghan Markle factor? And she said, I don't know. We well, just got really into the show. That show is very popular
2: before the whole you know, Prince Harry thing. Mm-hmm. But I also do think it's interesting because I've had some nieces and nephews that have in said that, the yeah, same thing. So it's it's cycling through a younger age group. Yes. It's
3: very interesting. She said she and her husband watch it, and they both really like it, and they're on season. I think there's nine seasons, and they were on season six. Um, I, is it the Meghan Markle factor? That has to have something to do with it. Ted Lasso was the most viewed original show the last year. That makes it the first non-Netflix streaming show to take that top spot. Because Apple Plus, not everybody has it. I don't, Fred. I do. Oh, for, Fred, for soccer. you caved in for soccer. For soccer. I forgot. Yeah. Abby, do you have it? I don't. So that's quite the achievement for Ted Lasso. I would agree. That's know? how I saw the first season. Oh, okay. That's Unfortunately, cool. the third season was terrible. I stopped like three episodes in. Do I need to wrap? I mean... Yeah, probably. Okay. Uh, Sue's News is brought to you by Mr. Appliance, speedy expert service. Go to MrAppliance.com. The first... I've got to do today's random fact. The first cereal that offered kids a prize was Kellogg's Corn Flakes in 1909. Wow. 1909 really? they figured that out. Wow. People who bought two boxes could send away for a book called Funny Jungle Land Moving Pictures. And who doesn't want <laughs> that? Fred might have that in his garage. Fred might I might. <laughs> I might.
2: And that's it for Sue's News. Oh, you just reminded me of something, and I can't remember... There was something that I had today. I'm gonna to have to think about this. That was related to uh, Gilgan's Island, Fred, oh. and I thought of you. And I don't remember exactly what it is, but now I have to kind of research. Um, they had my another topic.
1: marathon last um, over the weekend.
2: On what channel? What network?
1: Oh, I, I can't remember. Dude, you got she... to alert me to those because okay. I would watch that. You okay.
2: know, that's I've tried my daughter with some shows from back then, mainly animated shows. But I've never really tried her on the Brady Bunch or Gillian's Island. And oh, I might have to do that. There, yeah, she's I'm, like I'm the, the Brady Bunch. I mean, the Brady Bunch was right. my favorite at that age. All right, we're back. bachi Anger Sargon, my favorite reformed liberal We're only halfway through the Tuesday edition and a hell of a lineup today. Sean Spicer coming up after five o'clock. We'll talk about a variety of things, including the border, of course, and the uh, presidential election. I always like to get Spicy's take on where we are with the Republican primary as if we're anywhere at this point. I think it's over. Chris Clem, also retired Border Patrol agent, will be here at 525+. plus. I have an audio cut of the day. I hope to see a bunch of you tonight at our Thomas Helbig event, which is going to be great at the Plaza Frontenac Hilton. I'm going to zip over there right after the show. Another in the strong lineup on this Tuesday afternoon, Bachi Angar Sargon, opinion editor of Newsweek, my favorite reform liberal, the author of Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. And you got another book coming out, don't you, very soon? How are you, Bachi, this afternoon?
0: Um, I sure do. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a little bit um, in a state right now because I just read on the internet, and so it must be true that John Fetterman's wife has left him over his support for Israel. And so now I feel that I have this new mission in life, which is to find him a nice Jewish girl um, to marry because his support for Israel has come so out of left field. And it was so surprising, but it has been so strong. And he has been just so... Stalwart, despite all of the uh, pressure from the he progressive has. left to be an anti semite, and now I find out that he's single, and so Mark, I am on the case. Wait, wait, wait are you big, being serious? Yeah. Here? That his wife is
2: really ditching him for that reason?
0: It's all over the internet. Although, um, also some good people like Jane Lynch just reported this, um, so I think it must be true. She deleted all of her social media accounts. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> oh my so, gosh! Well, that that is a story. About, but it's big news, right? Yeah, it is big news. And look, this is the guy. He had Palestinian protesters at his home, and he goes on the roof of his home and he starts waving the Israeli flag. I mean, the dude is. You know, we're we're seeing, and I think that the stroke and everything that happened during that election kind of kept people in the rest of the country outside of Pennsylvania kind of knowing that John Fetterman was a little bit of a different Democrat in. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, right?
0: Absolutely, yes. And uh, (laughs) um, now I feel like, as a Jewish person, this, like, I think a lot of people feel this way, by the way. Just like, because here's the thing, Mark, is like when somebody like you is not an anti Semite and understands what's what. And supports Israel and so forth and understands that terrorism and rape are bad. It's like, it, it's like, thank you so much. It means a lot. But when somebody who's literally in the belly of the beast with all of the pressure professionally, and now it turns out also personally, when all everyone in his world is telling him, no, you have to call this a genocide. No, you have to be anti-Semitic and anti-Israel. And he stands up to it. It just means so much more. Like, it's just like. He's so brave, like he literally took on his entire side. And, you know, when you have all of these people out there being like, oh, I don't feel safe because of this, I don't feel safe because of that. And there's like a little bit of that going on in elite Jewish spaces now, too, all of these Jewish elite students at harvard oh i don't feel safe because they're chanting you know all of this stuff at me and they literally came to john fetterman's house and were chanting you know yeah. you can't hide from genocide and he stood up there and trolled the heck out of them and held up this enormous israeli flag was like you don't scare me because you're chanting i just love that guy and it turns out this woman was i mean i think it was obvious that she was the one pushing him to keep running even though he was depressed and had to stroke i mean you know talk about dark energy and now he's free of her and wow. we have to find him a nice Jewish girl, so if anyone who's listening to this is a nice Jewish girl... Please. Well,
2: wait, but a nice Jewish girl that wears hoodies, though. We got to, We have to at least, yes. you know, make that ask, right? <laughs> if you don't have any hoodies, I don't think I'd apply for that position. Hey, you one of the things that I love about what you do, and, and you've been very consistent in the era of Trump, is talking about the working class appeal. And there's a guy out there, I'm sure you know who Rye Tixera is, who writes for the Liberal Patriot, and he sums some of this up today, and I want your reaction, because this is right in your wheelhouse. Here is a simple truth, how working class non-college voters will likely determine the outcome of the 24 election. They will be the overwhelming majority of eligible voters, about two-thirds, and even allowing for turnout patterns, only slightly less dominant among actual voters around three-fifths. Moreover, in all key swing states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, the working class share of the electorate, both as eligible voters and projected voters, will be higher than the national average. We're seeing that in some of the polls right now. This is what I think is still eluding a lot of the people on the left, the appeal that Trump has with these working class people. You heard it from, you know, the the Dean Phillips dude last week. He goes and he stands in line in a Trump rally and he realizes, hey, these are people who have genuine problems. They think that no one's representing them. Right, Boccia? A
0: hundred um, percent. You know, I, the first politician who comes out the gate and says, I stand for a total moratorium on immigration for 10 years and universal health care is going to get an immediate 50% of the vote. It won't even be close because working class people do make up The majority of Americans, and yet they hate both parties, which is why for the first time in America, in American history, there are more independents than there are Republicans or Democrats, because neither party represents them. The the Democrats are now the party of the college-educated elites and the dependent poor, people who are on welfare. And the Republicans, without Trump, are still the party of tax cuts and free trade and corporations and all of the stuff that working-class people correctly see as anathema to their interests just as they see welfare as anathema to their interests because they see people who sort of live off the state and choose not to work as living off their expenses and their taxpayer dollars which they're right about right so to them they hate both parties they see both parties as totally morally bankrupt and and not representing them you know their top concerns are things like you know jobs good jobs which free trade is bad for and and mass migration is bad for but also healthcare they have health problems and they feel that they have to choose between one party that at least talks about healthcare but has an open borders policy and another party that talks about the border but will never say the word healthcare so you have the situation where they're really abandoned by both parties and Trump shows up and talks right to them directly to them he speaks their language he puts money in their pockets so i think even a lot of working-class people who don't like his personality they don't like his character they feel like look what am i i don't have the privilege of voting on character i have to vote for the guy who puts money in my pocket because i'm struggling
2: Yeah, well, and I think that this is even more evolved since 2016, because I think what happened in 2016 is that certainly existed, but a lot of people were like, look, I'm giving the middle finger with my vote for Trump. Now, I think genuinely, especially, and this is amazing, because I don't think we had the same conversation a year ago. Now, given the nature of where we are with inflation, with the border in particular, with some of these other things, Rye actually does a pretty good job of ticking off a bunch of the, the issues. They feel like There's nobody out there that's talking about these things. I mean, Nikki Haley's not even talking about these things, obviously, which is part of her challenge.
0: A hundred percent. I think, you know, that you've really sought the class divide, which is the defining feature of American life today, which, you know, as we talk about a lot, it maps onto the two you know, versions of the electorate, like the Democrats and Republicans. But within the GOP, there is a huge class divide between the donor class and the voter base. And Nikki Haley really represents what the donor class wants, right? Foreign interventions, free trade, tax cuts, all the stuff that Trump really stands against, which is why he's running away with this primary.
2: Yeah. And I don't know um, what you think about the rest of the, you know, the calendar, if you will, with Nikki Haley. I I just don't see a path here. There There is no path, is there?
0: No, I mean, she's she's talking to her donors. I mean, that that's totally true about her. Uh, you know, they, they, she's lucky because the border is such a mess that she can talk about that. But the truth is, Mark, Republican elites don't want a closed border. Right. Like they also like slave labor. That was always true. You know, who gave amnesty to three million immigrants that was Reagan, right? Obama was the one who was deporting more of them, right? Until until Trump. So you know this idea, the, the Republican elites are so divorced from where the ele- their elected voters are at, from where working class people are at, because their interests are fundamentally at odds with each other. It used to be Democrats represented labor. Now, 75% of people living in de- Republican led districts make less than the median wage, right? Less than the an income that is the working class right there people who work and work and work and they still can't access the american dream and that is what my book is about it's called second class how the elites betrayed america's working men and women i spoke to I, i flew around the country and spoke to just 50 60 70 working class people about their lives from different parties from different political persuasions of you know both genders of you know all religions and in all industries and they told me just what their lives were like. And, you know, honestly, Mark, it's complex. A lot of people are living the American dream, and a lot of people are struggling. And um, they, the one thing that unites them is they hate both parties.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that right now. Hey, have you heard our Corey Bush story from here today? i going to ask everyone that question.
0: I have heard your Corey Bush story. Interesting, isn't it? <laughs>
2: She is um, for those people just tuning in, we spent some time at the beginning of the show. We'll uh, mention this with Spicer when he's coming up too, but she is under investigation for campaign finance from the feds and the Justice Department. She did confirm that report earlier so we'll see where all that kind of leads down the line. Hey, tell me one thing that you tweeted about that I have not been dialed into here is this story about the United Nations Relief uh, Fund and the ties to Hamas.
0: Oh, God. Um, it's the kind of thing that everybody knew. It was an open secret, but if you talked about it, you were called racist by the left. And the story is this, um, you know, we've known forever that Hamas, which controls the entire Gaza Strip, and so everybody who lives there and works there works sort of at the, at the you know, at the pleasure of the butchers, right? Um, they would hide rockets and rocket launchers and munitions in um, UN schools. Uh, U.N. hospitals, anywhere that they could, because they knew that the Israelis would be reluctant to target civilians because the Israelis are humans, unlike Hamas. And so they would literally use their own people as human shields. But if you said this, the left would call you racist. Turns out not only were they hiding munitions in UNRWA schools. UNRWA is is the U.N. agency that's just for Palestinians. Um, But it turns out that 12 members of UNRWA, workers for the U.N., participated in October 7th in the actual atrocities, and it turns out that 1,200 U.N. workers in Gaza are members of Hamas or Palestinian Islamic Jihad. They're literal terrorists. So you have Antonio Gutiérrez standing there in the U.N., can't bring himself to condemn October seventh. Well now we know why. Because he has twelve hundred workers who literally have to are part of Hamas, have ties to Hamas. And fifty percent have a close family member who is in Hamas who is a terrorist. That's what we're talking about. This is the UN. It turns out the UN is a terrorist organization. I mean, who knew? Well of so course, like if you're aunt yeah. Go ahead. Well that that's outrageous,
2: right? But but what can I mean the, the problem is what can you do about that outside of expose it, right?
0: The, that's exactly the problem is that, you know, this is horrifying. Every good American knows that this is horrifying. The majority of people who live here understand that this is horrifying. Israelis understand this is horrifying. The problem is is that right now there is a globalist elite that could care less because they are totally woke and totally bought into this idea that if you have darker skin allegedly, you are inherently oppressed and thus inherently virtuous. And so you have the U.N. and all of these ancillary organizations that don't care, right? I mean, that is the problem. Like, we're sitting here going, I can't believe, and by the way, Mark, remember that the, one of the first things President Trump did when he came into office was cease payments to, to this branch of the U.N. UNRA. He said, why am I paying these terrorists Yeah. for of course, 2021? Excellent Biden immediately question. reinstates it, right? So now, of course, Biden's had to walk that back like he has so many of the Trump-Era policies that he undid the second he got into office.
2: Well, at least he's very clear when he's speaking and you can hear everything he's saying and he's not stumbling <laughs> over anything. Bahtiangar Sargon, always great to have you on. So the book is called How the Elites Betrayed America's Working Men and Women. Is that out yet, though? It's not quite out, is it? It's
0: not quite out, um, it's called class how the elite betrayed america's working men and women it's available for pre-order on amazon and EncounterBooks.com. it will be out april 2nd and i really hope you'll have me back mark
2: you know i will botcha thank you so much we'll talk <laughs> soon oh well, we've mentioned it a couple of times it really is the big national political story not only around here in st louis breaking this morning that uh um, cory bush is being investigated by the biden justice department i love that she's trying to make it about the right wing and the trump's how are you, you know, going to tra- do that? It's 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 the it's Biden. It's their Justice Department that is investigating you for use of um, potential misuse of campaign funds when it came to her security detail. Of course, um, I didn't get into this with, with Baccia because we kind of ran out of time. But let me see here. I think I had her tweet. You know, this is somebody who has blasted the police, right? She's yeah. made it very clear that she wants to defund the police. And she hires her husband now, in, in private security in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands. So Botch's tweet was, what makes this truly repulsive is that Corey Bush was the loudest voice pushing to fund the police amidst the historic rise in violent crime. Murderers and carjackers for the $750,000 in security for me. So she was very defiant today in her news conference.
3: Not used any federal tax dollars for personal security services. Any reporting that I have used funds for personal security, personal security, is simply false in recent months right-wing organizations Uh have lodged baseless complaints against me peddling notions that i have misused campaign funds to pay for personal security services that simply is not true all right well she says it's not true
2: they're gonna investigate it
3: in september of last year 2023 After conducting a month-long investigation, the Office of Congressional Ethics found no wrongdoing and voted unanimously to dismiss the case. I look forward to this same outcome. From all impending investigations. I kind of look forward
2: to a different outcome, but we'll have to see. I mean, I don't know enough about the particulars here to say that she's in deep doo or not, but the feds are investigating, and that's typically a deep doo warning. Yes, it is. Right, so there's been a subpoena. We have not seen the subpoena. We have not seen the details of that, but that's obviously uh, making waves across the country today because, Corey is famous because of her association with the squad. She's the stupid squad member. The rest of the squad, they don't even like her. I have it on good authority because she's not very smart, oh, but she's still a part of the squad. Look, Talib came in over the weekend to campaign and kick off that campaign. The implications here in St. Louis, and I know some of you out there think Wesley Bell would be better, but I don't know that he would. Would he do as many goofy things as Corey Bush? Probably not. Um, I'm not even joking, though, Sue, when I say maybe this helps her. Right? She's got, well, in the same way that it helps Trump to a certain extent. She's going to, I put the over under on pulling the race card at six hours and I took the under. To my knowledge, she has not pulled the race card, but I promise you.
3: Oh, it's coming. Yeah, it
2: it is coming. I want to go back just to a little bit. Um, what I was discussing with uh, with Bocci in the uh, the previous segment because this Rytik Saragin, I love what he does. He analyzes this stuff at the Liberal Patriot, and he essentially barks to this administration: "You guys are screwing this up so badly, you're going to lose these elections." So he um, he talked about how this administration is way off the reservation when it comes to the priorities of the American people. So he talked about some of the climate groups out there, you know, the uh, fear mongers when it comes to climate change. And he wrote, they're asking Biden to block new natural gas exports, which would be bad for economic growth and bad for Biden's national security policies in exchange for tiny and possible non-existent climate benefits. And he says, which is true, I think the White House should tell them to all blank off. And while they're at it, and this is where it gets really good, they should say something similar to any and all activist groups trying to block moves to tighten border security. But they're not by the way. They're not doing that. They're accepting the progressives words on this. So here's what Rye did in this piece. I thought it was excellent. He said these groups, he was talking about the climate groups, all these other things, they don't speak for most voters and they certainly don't speak for working class voters. And in general, Biden and his team should remember these core truths. It is not the working class that sees police as an unnecessary evil and opposes rigorous enforcement of the law for public safety and public order. It is not the the working class that believes public consumption of hard drugs should be tolerated with intervention limited to reviving addicts when they overdose. It's not the working class that believes many crimes like shoplifting should be decriminalized because punishing the perpetrators would have disparate impact. There's actually a bill in New York City. I don't know if it's a state bill or a, uh, a bill before... You know, the people on the city council in New York City that essentially takes everything out of the criminal code when it comes to what you might do with your your tags and registration. All these little kind of crimes that add up and really, you know, essentially signal if someone has insurance that they might run into you with. They want to get rid of all that. Oh, come on. Rice it's not the working class that believes you should never refer to illegal immigrants as illegal and that border security is somehow a racist idea. Overwhelming majority of the people in this country. Democrats included think that that's nuts. It's not the working class that believes an overwhelming surge of migrants at the border should be accommodated with asylum claims, parole arrangements, and release into urban areas around the country. It's not the working class that believes competitive admissions and job placements should be allocated on the basis of race equity, not merit. It's not the working class that views objective tests as fundamentally flawed if they show racial disparities in achievement. It's not the working class that believes America is structurally racist. White supremacists, right? That's what we hear from these progressives. It's not the working class. I like this one in particular. It's not the working class that believes America is structurally racist. It's not the working class that sees patriotism as a dirty word and the history of the United States as a bleak landscape of racism and oppression. Look, the good news, if you're a Republican, is the Democrats are not heeding the cautions. Sean Spicer, right after Fox News at 507.